Alright, so thank you everybody for tuning in. And we are picking up this week in the Seder of Tachnun, and all of the different Tachinot and Tachnunim uh, that we say after Shemona Esrei. And last week we were at the section, we discussed the section of the Yud Gimel Midot, uh, saying the 13 attributes of mercy uh, every day, which is the Minhag of the Sfaradim, the Minhag of some Ashkenazim, especially Minhag Sfarad. And we discussed the origin of that, how it went back to this, you know, the, the Minhag of saying it during the Tachinot goes all the way back to the Seder of Amram, and we discussed the Zohar and how the uh, Arizal um, gave a strong push for it to be put into the, to the Sidor every day instead of just Monday and Thursday. We discussed the different Shitot and the Rishonim about saying it be Chidut and the Minhagim of bowing and, bounce, and bouncing and all the various uh, history involved in the Yud Gimel Midot. So tonight we're moving a little bit forward in the section of Tachnun, and we're approaching the part which is called properly Nifilat Apayim. So in the later postgame, if one is learning the Halachot of Tachnun, or if one is studying even a commentary on Tachnun, the, you'll it's very easy to get mixed up or to conflate both Tachina and Nefilat Apayim. But it's clear already from the earlier uh, Rishonim and from the uh, time of the Geonim that Nefilat Apayim and Tachnun are two different things. You, there are Tefilot which were said simply as Tachinot directly after Shmona Esrei. Uh, Elokai Nitzor is one of them. And there is there are specific Tefilot which are only said when people put their head down or fall on their faces in, in the literal sense, nefilat apayim, as people fall on their faces. And there are certain tefilot which are designed for that, um, for that mode, for that type of behavior. So in the, there are different suggestions. We mentioned this in the introduction to Tachnun in the first year on Tachnun. There are different suggestions as to why we put our head down. Um, some are because we shouldn't hear uh, the people around us uh, you know, if people are in, in those times, it was free form, so we shouldn't. In the event that uh, someone was doing a vidui or doing a confession, others around him shouldn't uh, hear. On the other hand, it's it's a form of hachnaa. It's a form of humbling oneself before a king to kneel or to completely prostrate themselves to supplicate for mercy. So there are different. Um, suggestions for why this is done. But those we discussed mostly uh, earlier, we discussed those earlier um, in the, the first part of, of, this, of the, this series on Tachnun. This part here, the specific uh, Nefilata Paim, going back to the time of the Geonim. In the time of the Geonim, most of the Tachinot, most of the Tachnunim that were said were still freeform. So if you look in the Seder of Amram, in his Sidor, the thing which people said uh, when, when putting their head down was also free form, but he suggests a composition. And over there he composes a nice long um, techina, which people should say. To my knowledge, nobody today says that anymore. But that's what the Seder of Amram does. And if you look in the Sadia Gaon, he has a standardized text. He doesn't even suggest that people should say something else. And he has a, also a similar text beginning with Rachum Mechanun Chatan Lufanecha. 
And that's his Nefilat Apayim, but it is not a, a Perak in Tehillim. The earliest uh, source for where I found that the Sfaradim in Hag of saying Ledavid Elecha Hashem Nafshi Asa to say Perak Chavhei of Tehillim. The earliest source I believe that I found for this is in the Rambam, where the Rambam also says uh, has a quasi-standardized text. And in the Rambam Seder HaTfilah, he says that some people do this, some people do that, most people should do whatever they want, but there are people who do, do this and this and this and this and that. Some people say some of these pesukim, some people say all of these pesukim, and some people say these parak- uh, uh, prakim of Tehillim, and some people say these prakim of Tehillim. So one of the prakim of Tehillim that the Rambam mentions is the parak of Ledavid Elecha Hashem Nafshiasa, parak Chafhei. Later, of course, the Abu Durham also uh, mentions this minhag, so it's clear that the Sfaradim minhag has been that the Nefilat Apayim part of Tachin, of Tachnun, the part where we fall on our face, the minhag of the Sfaradim has been for a very, very long time. Um, it has been to say Ledavit. It has been to say Perek from Tehilim. Now, exactly why the Geonim did not do this is not clear, and exactly when this began among the Sfaradim is also not clear. Clearly, began sometime in the 11th century, no later than the 11th century, if it was the Rambam who said it. But if the Gonim didn't mention it, it's a little uh, perplexing that it just suddenly appeared and was chosen as a parak tehillim for the Svaradim to say. Now, the most authoritative source, uh, besides for the Rambam, that this is one of the prakim... All right, so the most authoritative uh, set, uh, place that Ledavid is, is a part of Nefilat Apayim, and this specific parak is Nefilat Apayim, is actually the Zohar. So now we know that the Zohar was only printed, or at least first published, in roughly the 13th century. So it's not clear uh, for every part of the Zohar as, to, to date every single part of the Zohar, but if the Zohar, this at least a section, is indeed part of the Tanah Lokai Bishamon Bar Yochai, meaning if this is really clearly from the Tanaim, what the Zohar says is actually incredible because the Tana in the Zohar says that immediately after Shmon Esrei a person should do Nefilat Apayim, he should do a Vidui. Obviously, we've discussed this in previous weeks. A person should do a Vidui and then he should do a Nefilat Apayim. And the Zohar says that the Seder which was Nitkan, the Seder which was instituted, and he means by the Anshei Knesset Hagidola, was to say Ledavid Elach Hashem Nafshiasa. The Zohar says this explicitly which is astounding, because that would mean that the Geonim had no knowledge of this minhag, even though it was something which was instituted well before the time of the Tanaim. So that's a perplexing statement of the Zohar. But more interesting is how the Zohar frames the position of Ledavid Elecha Hashem Nafshiasa, and why it's important and why this is considered the section of Nefilat Apayim. So we've learned previously then Nefilat Apayim is a very powerful tefillah, and that it could accomplish an enormous amount of things. It could bring zechut down into the world. It can uh, uh, accomplish many tikkunim. It could uh, bring forgiveness. There's many different powers that Nefilat Apayim, if done properly, can bring into the world. And I believe the Kafachayim has like a list of seven different things that a real Nefilat Apayim can do. And the Zohar explains how exactly this works, and so we're not going to get too deep into the Kabbalistic scope of this, but in general we've discussed previously how the order of the, um, the, order of the tefillah is a, 
progression or an ascension meditatively from one world to the world, uh, quote unquote, above it. So in the morning we begin we begin with the Olam Hasiyah, the world of um, action, and then we ascend from that uh, realm, that that universe of meditative thought. After the first section of Tefillah, we go higher to the Olam HaYetzirah, and then higher to the world of Biriyah, which is the world, the Yetzirah is the world of speech, Biriyah is the world of thought, and, and finally, Shmon Esrei is the world of Atzilut, nearness to God, and that is the world above thought. So the Zohar explains how um, at every level there's another tikkun happening, and, and there's a sort of a, a cleansing of all different klipot, or external forces, that attach themselves to the externalities of these worlds, and when a person pray, when a person gets up in the morning and puts on tefillin and he puts on a talit and he, and he says the brachot and he does all these actions, he's mitaken and he does birurim and he cleanses the klipot of the world of, of the externalities of the world of Asiyah. and then he goes higher into the world of yitzira and he does the same thing and then in the world of bria, um, he ascends the previous worlds into that and then he ascends the previous worlds into tzilut and various various different kabbalistic meditations and tikkunim. Says the Zara that after the uh, the accomplishment, really, of the world of Atzilut and the, the the meditative practice of properly having all the right kavanot in Shmona Esrei, after that, a person who is on the meditative level would descend, going all the way from the world of Atzilut all the way down into the Olam Haklipot, meaning into the world which is known as uh, the externalities of Malchut. And a person can descend all the way down there, and what the neshama, or the consciousness, does when it descends from all the way from Atzilut all the way down that deep, is that it's going down, it's descending into this place of darkness to forcibly clean different sparks of holiness which were lost there, or trapped there. So there's, in other words, in the spiritual worlds there is an underworld, and in that underworld there are sparks of holiness which need to be separated, which need to be rectified or cleaned, and a person can uh, descend uh, into those worlds to forcibly do those things. So this is what it means, that Hashem I offer my soul. Because when a person gives his soul that deep, when a person presents his soul that deeply, he's basically giving his soul to death. When he, once he sends his soul into this, so to speak, underworld meditatively, such a person is... Um, such a person on that level would be offering his soul to death. In other words, he's putting it into a very perilous place in order to do these birurim, in order to do these holy separations. So that's in the framework of the Zohar. The Zohar cautions that a person who does this and isn't prepared for this kind of practice, and this is all of us, a person who does that um, can have his soul trapped there and he could die an early death. So this are, although not revealed to most people in its entirety, and obviously the details of it aren't, uh, the, 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 aren't uh, what's the word, explicitly uh, taught, the, the Beit Yosef brings down the whole thing in Kuflam et Aleph, which is why I feel uh, I have even the right to talk about it a little bit. But this Zohar was tremendously uh, influential. And the Ashkenazim today do not say, L'davide lecha Hashem nafshiyasah. And this is perplexing because originally, originally everybody said "Ludavide lechashem nafshiyasah." The Ashkenazim said it. Uh, the Germans, the French Jews. So it's not clear what happened. Why did the French Jews and the Ashkenaz and and the the, the German Jews stop saying uh, "Perek Hafei" every single day? 
So the Magen Avram suggests that because of this Zohar, because of this uh, warning that a person who says this Perak Tilim improperly can die in early death, people are too afraid to say Perhaps it was too powerful of a Perak Tilim to say, and perhaps that's why the Ashkenazim stopped saying it. If one looks in the, in the Sidur of the Rokeach, or in the Sidur of the Masorvitri, in the early time of the German and French Jews, the Tachnunim were much more numerous. They would say many more things. And there was also, again, an element of free form. So some people would say Perak Vav, some people would say Perak Gimel, some people say Perak Chaf Hei, and more. There were all, and honestly, the Rokeach goes, uh, goes at length, and he has a pirush on Perak Chaf Hei, the one that we say. He has a double pirush. He has one, he has an entire three, four pages being the Faresh, the Perak. And then he has Bepani Macherot, and he does another Pirush, and then he does a Pirush Perak Vav and a Pirush Perak Gimel. It's beautiful, but it's very clear that the Ashkenazim said it uh, for, for a very long time. So again, the Magen Avraham doesn't know this, doesn't seem to know this as a fact, but he is guessing that this was the reason why the Ashkenazim stopped saying it was because perhaps it was too powerful. Another thing I could personally suggest, and this is perhaps conjecture, is that um, perhaps the amount of extra things in the Sidur became too numerous and too long, and eventually the people who uh, were writing Sidurim just chose the shortest of all the um, uh, Perkei Tilim, which would have been Perak Vav. They just chose one that meant the most to them, or they chose the one which felt the shortest, and eventually they settled on Perak Vav instead of the other two or three that were also said, just as a, a way to, uh, to make things more concise. But we'll never know for sure. Honestly, um, this might... Uh, the, 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 the Shalah himself, uh, one of the early, uh, he lived in the 16th century, one of the early Ashkenaz poskim is very perplexed that the Ashkenaz Minhag is not to, to say, um, not to say, he goes so far as to bring both in his Sidur. He brings the Ashkenaz version, Perak Vav, and he brings the Sfaradi version, Perak and and he says he prefers to say Perak he, he thinks the Sfaradim are right, and he brings the Zohar, and the Shla very much sides with the Sfaradim here, um, but uh, the Ashkenaz Minhag has remained the way it's been for the past at least uh, 800 years, and that is just to say uh, Perek Vav. So another interesting peculiarity, and this is not really a uh, not really a Dvar Torah at all, but I find it very interesting personally that the, um, how do I put this? that the Ashkenaz order in the Sidur isn't done in the same way as it is in the Sfaradi Sidurim. Meaning, once the printing press was invented, it didn't cost too much in extra ink to simply put the Seder for every day before the Seder of Sheni Bechamishi. If you look at the Ashkenaz Sidurim, they first put the order of Monday and Thursday, and then they kind of incorporate the, uh, the Seder for every other day, Sunday, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday and Friday, and into the end part. And so you have to, if you're not Ashkenazi, you'd have to figure out what it is they're saying and why they're saying that and specifically not anything else. While it would have been simpler to just print it twice, in, in my opinion. The early Mahsarim all did it this way. They, they, um, they did it the way the modern Sidurim do it, but that's also because they're manuscripts. And it would have been very annoying to have to write something twice. Honestly, this, the, I feel like the modern Sidurim could have just printed it twice. It would make it a lot more... Uh, a lot more simple and, and easy to read. So now, I did say I did promise that we're going to uh, approach the Ashkenaz version of Tachnun. 
And you know what? Did I even bring an Ashkenazi door today? I did not. But the Ashkenazim begin, so now everybody, both the Svaradim and the Ashkenazim, they begin the section of Nefilat Paim with a sentence of Vidoy. And maybe in the time there were Kach, this wasn't done. But it seems in general we say, right? That's the first thing, the first sentence we say is a Vidoy. And then we say, The Ashkenazim say, um, let me pull it out exactly because I don't remember the exact language that they say. Uh, I believe it's Vikabel Tachanunai, something to that effect. They have a very similar wait, uh, language. This is not a recent invention, honestly. This was this is exists in the Ashkenazi Durian going way, 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 way back, of hundreds and hundreds of years. This was their introductory sentence for um Paragvav. And again, as I mentioned, they say Paragvav in Tilim. But there's two peculiarities about the way the Ashkenazim do it. Number one is that they begin with a Pasuk, Vayomer David. So this is a pasuk which we've discussed previously, um, especially when we were talking about the bracha v'ritzei, the bracha v'avodan shmon esrei. So there's a story at the end of Shmuel Bet, a mysterious story, where David Amelach goes along to to count Bnei Yisrael, and. For some reason, Hashem gave him a command, or he had a Ruach HaKodesh, that he had to count Bnei Israel. And then somehow he did it wrong. And Gad HaChoseh, the, the Navi, came to him and told him, Hashem is going to punish you for counting Bnei Israel incorrectly. So there's different... Um, the Midrash explains over there that Bnei Israel weren't, didn't ask Hashem for the Beit HaMikdash, and therefore Hashem brought it through David HaMelech that they should be punished because they didn't ask for the Beit HaMikdash and therefore the Anshikinah uh, Gdola made a bracha of Ritzei. But what did Gad HaChoset tell David HaMelech? Okay, you have to be punished. We have one of three things. Either you're going to have famine for seven years or you're going to have, I think it's three months of losses at battle or you're going to have three days of plague, three days of people that are going to be dying. So David HaMelech said this pasuk. He said, please allow me to fall in the hands of Hashem be, um, here it is. Let me fall in the hands directly of Hashem. In other words, give us three days of plague. Because I know His mercy is abundant. But don't let me, um, don't throw me into the hands of mortal man. And David HaMelech was uh, saying something ingenious, and that was, if I have to take a curse, let me take something which is going to be directly through Hashem and not through an intermediary. Because if it's hunger and it's a physical thing, then I'm at the mercy of the economy. If it's going to be battle, then I'm at the mercy of my enemies. But if it's just death, Hashem is the one who controls life and death. And if Hashem is the one who's controlling the punishment, then I know that I could pray to Hashem and I could mitigate that punishment. So David Malach asked for the three days of plague. And so it was that after only half a day, Hashem already stopped the plague because David Malach prayed for the ending uh, of this plague. So this pasuk is the one that Ashkenazim have chosen to say before the Tachnun. But the uh, researchers of Jewish liturgy have noted that this appeared in the Sidurim about 150, 200 years ago. It doesn't, it never really uh, found its way into Sidurim before that. 
and it's a big mystery as to how it ended up there. So I saw in the Sidur Avodat Yisrael, which was made by somebody named Bauer, this is already a while ago, maybe 150 years ago, so he was also a researcher, and he says that he found in a Sefer Kitsur Hashla, Kitsur Shnei Luchot Habrit, and I don't have one, so I couldn't actually uh, verify this, that the Shla said, and this is already going back earlier, that the Minhag was to say this Pasuk before, um, because it speaks about falling in front of Hashem, just like we're doing the Filat Apayim, it became the Minhag to say this Pasuk before Perek Vav, and he doesn't know why, and neither does Bauer. Nobody seems to know why the Ashkenazim chose this. It's also further odd that, it's even more odd that they chose this pasuk of all the different pasukim because the Rokeach um, points out that we see this language of falling before Hashem already in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, and it's in Bamidbar, we see a uh, we see it by Yeshua. Yeshua fell in front of the Aaron. The Rokeach points out that this language of falling before Hashem, of doing the filata payim, already existed by the Nevi'im Rishonim, by the early Nevi'im. So it, it would be interesting that they chose this pasuk, which is by you know, David HaMelech, rather than choosing a pasuk, uh, for example, in Sefer Yeshua. And just interestingly, if you look in Sefer Yeshua, um, we learn from there a halacha, which is brought in uh, Shulchan Aruch by the Ramah, the Machaber also brings it in uh, in uh, Beit Yosef. But the Pasuk says, Ve'ikra Yeshua simlotav, Yeshua rent his clothes, Ve'yipola panav arzan, he fell uh, on his face um, to the ground, Lufnei Aron Hashem, before the Aron of Hashem, uh, the Ark, Ad Ha'arv, until the, the evening, V'siknei Salve'yalu Afal Roshama, and they put sack on, the, on their forehead. It's talking about an incident where the, uh, Yeshua prayed to Hashem for mercy, and he fell in front of the Aron. So the Rokeach actually learns from that pasuk that if, if we're going to do nefilata paim, if we're going to fall on our face, you have to be in a place with Aaron Kodesh. You have to have a shul with an Aaron Kodesh with a Sefer Torah inside of it. And this is brought in the Ramah, the Beit Yosef, the, the, the Shulchan Aruch himself doesn't actually uh, write this in Shulchan Aruch, but the Ramah brings it lahalacha. And what's interesting about this is that during coronavirus, a lot of people had this question because they would be davening in a backyard minyan um, and they'll have a Sefer Torah inside the house. And the question was, well, should we say do nefilat apayim? Should we say tachnun at all? We don't have a Sefer Torah. Or if they did have a Sefer Torah, it was all the way in the house. So this actually came up lahalacha recently regarding whether or not to say nefilat apayim in one of these backyard minyanim. The Maharil and other later poskims say that, even the Rokach's the earliest source for this, by the way, and there's no earlier source for this drasha, so to speak, from, from Navi. Um, but he does bring that, that's the minhag. And the Mariel and the later poskim say that if you're in the courtyard of a shul, you're like in the back, or if you're davening at home, but you know you're saying nefilat apayim at the same time that the tzibor is saying nefilat apayim, then you could. It doesn't, you don't have to have a sefer Torah directly in front of you. So there are heterim for this, and it's not clear that the Svaradim paskin like this anyway. Whoever you are, Ask your rabbi if you actually want a psak for saying nefilat apayim if you're not in front of a uh, not in front of our own kodesh. But remember, this is only nefilat apayim. This is only the act of falling on your face, not the act of tachnun itself. So that's the way the poskim phrase it. So just ask your rabbi if you are davening bechidut or anything like that comes up. Okay. So while the Ashkenazim chose to omit the entire Perak Chafhei, the Sfaradim took a different route. And 
the Svanadim also recognized that this Zohar's warning was pretty dire and a person could come at the risk of an early death. But they took a totally different approach. If you look in the Ben Ishchai, Parashat Kitisa, uh, Seif Yud Gimel, the Ben Ishchai says that the Minhag in Baghdad was to do Perek but not to do Nefilat Apayin, not to fall on one's face. Instead, they would say it's standing up. And he brings, uh, he asked of the uh, Rabbi Eliyahu Mani, who was learned in the Yeshiva in Hebron, if they did the Filatapayim in Hebron, he said, no, in the Yeshiva Betel here, we, uh, most people here do not do it, we're, we're very Zahir, and a person who uh, contradicts the rest of the Kahal, and he decides that he's going to do it and everyone else isn't doing it, it's Merzi Kiyuhara, it's like he's arrogant. A person should not be, uh, should not differ from the Kahal. And this uh, Psak, of the Ben Ishchai, and one or two other poskim who held this way as well, had a major uh, effect, and many of the Baghdadi Jews and the Syrian Jews until today do not do Nefilat Apayim at all. They simply say L'David El HaShem and they don't put their heads down. That's the, the general menhag among the Sfaradim today. However, most of the poskim, based on the Machaber himself, based on the Shulchan Aruch, they hold that a person should fall on his face. And there's many reasons for this. First of all, the Minahagon of Filatapayim, the the instruction for this and you know, putting your head your head down on on your head down on your left arm goes all the way back to Haigaon. Uh, we have multiple sources in the sources in the post scheme and, and historical sources that prove that people have been doing it for a very, very long time. Many of the poskim were not happy with this idea to suddenly stop doing it because we're afraid of something. The Shla says, a person should not be afraid of doing it. So there's different suggestions for how to get out of the, the problem of the Zohar. So some suggest that, you know, first of all, in Betel, the only reason, well, let's, let's start simple. Some people suggest that the only time it's a danger for a person to die young for doing the filata pain is if that person is, as the Sharak Abanot says, as the Arizal says, a tzaddik gamur. If that person is a real, real high-level nikubal and tzaddik, and that person is on the level of doing these kinds of meditations, then that person who's descending his soul into an underworld, that person's at risk of not coming out. But a normal person who's not having these kavanot doesn't have to worry, and that's what the Chassad al-Afim says, the Shla says the same thing, the Kafachayim Palaji says the same thing, many of the nikubalim um, assuage these fears and they uh, they reinforce the idea that it's important to say nefilat apayim and it's important to to put one's ar- uh, head down into one's arms and a person should not be afraid by this uh, from this Zohar. The, the Mishnah Burah says something even more interesting. He says that Bizman Azeh, we have chairs and tables and in the olden days no one had chairs and tables, they literally sat on the floor. So in today's day and age, it's, we're not really doing nefilat apayim. We're just resting our head on the table and we're putting our head on our arm. That's not real nefilat apayim. So one definitely shouldn't have to be choshesh for this Zohar. So the Mishnah Barah and obviously all the Ashkenazim today still put their head on the table. Um, this act, I mean, just to, to, maybe I didn't make this clear, the reason some of those poskim are afraid, like the Benishchai are afraid of doing nefilat apayim and afraid of putting the head down Specifically, is because they understand the act of nefilat apayim as being the most powerful part, because that represents this descent into the olam klipot, this this uh, ilana de mavet, the, the, the malchut, and all all those uh, deeper esoteric ideas. 
So they believe that the physical act is uh, very powerful, and therefore that would cause a person to lose one's soul. Now the Moroccans, um, for many, many generations, did exactly like the Shulchan Aruch. As far as I can tell from the, the, the books about Minhagim that I could find, most people in Morocco did um, put their heads down on their left, uh, left arm. However, in recent, um, recent times, as far as the Moroccans I've witnessed, I haven't seen people do it, but I'm sure there are still Moroccans today, and whether it's here in America or in Eretz Israel, which still put their heads down as what it was the minhag, the people have uh, some of the, there's testimonies that the Babasali did it, there's testimonies that the Chida did it, so even though we know the Ben didn't, still there's plenty of reason to do it, so if a person has the minhag, you shouldn't be afraid to do it. If you're Moroccan and you're with Ashkenazim anyway, you'll probably be fine to do it, but if you're with Syrians, uh, probably shouldn't, uh, you know, get into any fights in shul, so that's the, uh, that's the gist of that minhag. Okay, so now, just to complete the, um, the shiur for today, I wanted to just slowly go through the different pesukim of Perak Vav and Perak Hav Hei. Um, this is really just going to be a very short translation of the prakim, and then Bezrat Hashem next week we will continue with the topics of Anachnu Lo Neida, Hashem Elokei Yisrael, and all the different sources for where that stuff comes from, who wrote it, and um, maybe, maybe next week, Bezat Hashem will start on Sheni Bechamishi. I don't know how much time we'll spend on that, but the, the Mondays and Thursdays tefillot are also very important, so we'll have to spend one or two shirim on that. So now, Perek and Perek Vav. So, Perek is interesting because it goes according to the Seder of the Aleph bit, and Abu Dharam points this out, but it's missing three letters, and it doubles three others. It's missing, um, we say, Elech Hashem that's the Aleph, right? Then we have, that's the Aleph, then Gam Kol Kovecha. Also, all those who seek, uh, who hope to you, Lo shall not be embarrassed. So it skips Bet, and then it skips Vav, and then it skips Kuf. It skips Bet, Vav, and Kuf. Then it doubles three letters, the Resh, the Fe and the Aleph. So, the um, Abu Dharam points this out, and the Zohar also, um, the Zohar also points this out, and the Zohar stresses more on the Vav. The Zohar stresses that the that the Vav is not, is not said for Kabbalistic reasons, which align to the whole system, the whole the whole meditative system which he has. He doesn't really discuss the bet, the bet and the Kuf, but the Abu Dharam does. And the Abu Dharam says as follows. I'm just going to read it from here. So, The reason it leaves out these three letters is because the word means, the word bet vav kuf means emptiness. And it's instructs us or teaches us on the emptiness which from which a person a person who is saying this uh, this mizmor who's seeking to shuva a person who doesn't have to shuva it's showing a person's emptiness as he comes before god seeking to shuva uh, and he doesn't have masim tovim when we say um, that is the busha which the people coming forth to hashem have 
Um, so those who uh, rebelled are embarrassed and are empty that's the um, the people who are book the people who have emptiness and then he explains why does it does it have the the race the fan the Aleph he says and 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 despite this David Hamelach came and with his Ruach HaKodesh he healed those people which are Aleph, Reish, and Fei, which are also a Lashon of Refuah. We see that Teshuvah is called Refuah, as the Pasuk says, There are others who say that this is Gematria Pe'er, also a similar idea of accomplishing uh, Teshuvah. So that's just uh, something to be of note. That in case you think you're going crazy when you're going through this, no, they are, it is missing three letters. Uh, the bicha, some people say the bicha and the vila medeni. That's the bet and the vav, and the kuf is from. Uh, I mean, you could weave it in there, but in general, this aleph bet uh, mizmar is missing those three letters. So that is for a reason. The radak says we don't know the reason. It's been lost to time, but this is what the Rashim on the sidur say, and the czar actually uh, gives a reason. So. Let's just go through the, the the literal translation here. So it says, This means literally that to you, Hashem, I offer my soul. There's different interpretations for this from the different Mefarshim. The Rokeach actually suggests that this David HaMelech said this before he went out to battle because he was willing to risk his life for Hashem. So here I set my hope. So Rashi says the way Rashi explains means that to you Hashem I focus my attention and I focus my my kabanot. Okay, let's get through the translation here. Um, my God in you I have trusted. Um, may my enemies not be not exult uh, over my downfall. And let none who hope to you. Um, be disappointed. Let those, uh, let the faithless, the people who are either rebel or are boged, um, those people should come. Those empty-headed people instead should be should be uh, embarrassed. Now the Vidam Elf begins with the pasuk of teshuvah. Please, Hashem, let me know your ways, meaning your Torah. Show me your your ways, your paths. Guide me in your emet in your Torah. Vilamadani and teach me. This is a part of the process of Teshuvah, which we begin Teshuvah with Torah and then Avodah. For you, my God, you're my deliverer, you're my savior. Um, to you, I've placed my hope at all times. So here, Kiviti Kolayom, you see, again, you see, we begin with Torah and then we go to Teshuvah. This is the way the, uh, the Rambam discusses the, the ideas of the halachot of Teshuvah. Um, my God, remember your your uh, your mercies and your kindnesses, which uh, are as old as time. Rashi says it goes as old as far back as Adam Harishon, uh, that Hashem showed His kindness to Adam Harishon. Forgetting exactly the example He gave, Rashi gives an example of going all the way back to Adam Harishon. Be mindful not of my youthful sins and transgressions. Um, Rather, when I, um, the, the translation is in keeping your faithfulness, consider what is in my favor as befits your, your chesed, um, Hashem. Tovia Hashem, now a statement. So the first, 
person saying, now please forgive my sin, right? And he calls them like youthful because when people sin generally through achshtut, it's usually something that they, they know they shouldn't have done and yet they did it anyway. Hashem is good and upright and therefore he shows those who, who have chataim, he shows them, he guides them in the way to, to do teshuvah in most cases unless a person really screwed up. He guides the, uh, those who are humble in justice on the right path, and he teaches the lowly his way. All Hashem's paths are loving kindness, chesed ve'emet, loving kindness and truth. It's a very beautiful pasuk. All of the ways Hashem of Hashem are loving kindness and truth. For those who keep the decrees, for those who guard the decrees, and for his breeds, for his treaty, his covenant. As if it's your name, Hashem, please uh, forgive my sins because they are great, they are many. Um, a person who fears, it's kind of a rhetorical question, whoever fears Hashem, he is the person who Hashem is going to guide to show him what path to choose. But a person who doesn't have Yirat Shamayim, this is an interesting note that the Pasuk is making. If a person doesn't actually have Yirat Shamayim, it's going to be hard for him to find that guidance when he needs a place to, to run. He shall live a happy life and his children shall inherit the land, meaning they will inherit different forms of brachot. Sod Hashem Lireyav, not the secret, but the counsel, meaning the, the, the uh, support of Hashem, it comes to those who are his, uh, who fear him, and he makes known his covenant. My eyes are forever towards Hashem because he is the one who loosens my feet from the 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 net this is a direct petition to hashem please turn on me and have mercy on me because i am alone and i'm afflicted um, my place of distress is increasing and please uh save me from from these uh from from these uh narrow places Look at my affliction and my suffering and suffering and please forgive all my sins. Protect me and save me and don't let me be embarrassed in the in Olam for I have sought refuge in you. My integrity and uprightness will watch over me because I look to you. This is David Melech. Uh, sometimes he, he oscillates to psukim of confidence, as we'll see in Perak Vav. Hashem redeem us from all its distress. So Hashem will redeem B'nai Israel from all of its distresses. So this is so much for Perak Vav Hey, and the Sfaradim say it in its entirety. But the Ashkenazim who say Perak Vav, originally, they, set, they started it from the beginning. They began, Lam Natseach bin Ginot Ala Sheminid Mizmole David. Somehow, some why, some when, they stopped saying the first pasuk. It could be because it says Mizmor le David, and therefore it sounds like a song, so perhaps the Ashkenazim thought that that's inappropriate. If they're going to say it to Hina, it shouldn't have any mention of Mizmor. Um, interestingly, the Rokeach, who has the entire thing, he says, that, he says that when a Navi is coming before Hashem with Teshuvah, and his Teshuvah was successful, that's when he uses the Lashon of Zemer. So it would might have been an accident to actually leave out the first pasuk, but that became the minhag, and eventually Ashkenazi Sidurim, going as far back as the manuscripts, definitely leave out the first pasuk.
But this one is shorter, so please bear, bear with me. We'll, we'll just do it together. Um, this is already Perak Vav. So this, uh, this is uh, for the leader. This is basically the introductory pasuk, which says uh, for, uh, for music on the, on the eight, on the Sheminit, which is an eight-stringed uh, instrument. This, this, this is a Mizmor Le David. The Radak points out that this um, parak seems to be the parak that David Amelach composed when he was sick. Uh, David Amal had an episode in his life where he became very sick and he had a lot of shivers. And um, so he was healed eventually, but this is the parak which apparently David Amal wrote uh, in midst of sickness. So it says, Hashem al he begins directly with Hashem, do not punish me in anger, and do not chastise me in your wrath with your fury. Hashem um, uh, show me grace or have mercy on me, uh, Hashem, because I am feeble. Hashem and heal me, for my bones are are shaking. So heal me, as we said, could also be a lashon of teshuvah, not just a, la, a lashon of sickness. Um, in, in the the way the the way that the early um, the Tanaim and the Nevi'im saw the word of was more than just healing from physical ailments. For them, mental health and physical health was the same thing. So if a person had heartbreak, they would also use the Lashon of Refuah. My whole being is stricken with terror. While you, Hashem, how long are you going to keep this on? Oh, Hashem, please uh, return and deliver me um, and save me as befits your loving kindness. For there is no praise among you for those who, who are dead. Who can acclaim you in the grave? So David Melch is saying that if I die, I can no longer serve Hashem. It is only beneficial for me to stay alive and continue to do misvot and to do avodah. So please don't deliver me to death. I'm already weary with groaning. Every night I drench my bed, with te- meaning with tears. I melt my couch in tears. My eyes are wasted from uh, from being uh, angered, so to speak, or from being uh, bewildered, uh, distressed by other people. It's worn out because of all my enemies. This is an interesting thing that the Navi does. <coughs> David Amelech specifically will sometimes oscillate because again he is a Navi and these are Nivuot. Um, when you're at a level when he was at a level of this type of meditation, he could oscillate from one vision to the other very quickly. And therefore he could go from one Pasuk to the other, one where he's begging for his life, and in the other Pasuk he switches immediately and hears Benivua that he's already his field were accepted. So David Amelech says uh, you could be banished from me, all evildoers, meaning all evil, either his enemies or uh, any uh, negative forces which could have caused this illness. And he proclaims with confidence that Hashem has heard the sound of my cries. Hashem heard my my techina, right? My, like we have a supplication of mercy, as we're speaking here about Tachnunim. He accepted my prayer. My enemies will be frustrated and uh, stricken with terror. And they will turn back in an instant um, in shame. And that's the, the gist of 
Perek Vav. In case anybody has read these before, didn't know all the translation of all the words, uh, those are the translations. The next parts of Hashem Elokei Yisrael, um, the Minhag of Standing by there, um, which is actually a little bit recent, and then the Banachtun Lo Neda, and where that comes from, Bezrat Hashem, I hope to continue next week. Um, and I hope to as soon as possible, I know we're already on the fifth shiur of Tachnun, to, to wrap up all the uh, all there is to study in the field of the Tachnunim, which we have uh, approached. So if anybody has any questions, uh, let me know. I'd love, love to hear them. Why do we say Tachnun Bilachash? So the... So there, the original reason why anything, why the entire Nefilat Apayim section was said Belachash was not for Kabbalistic reasons, it was for practical reasons. It was simply because originally it was all freeform and people would say Viduyin, people would say very personal things when they said it quietly. If I remember correctly, you know what, let me just pull this out. Give me a second. I think the Rokeach actually says another reason um, for why it said Belachash. Coming, which comes from the, I think he brings it from the Bet HaMikdash. One second. Tough your bit. I might be misremembering, so just give me a second here. Mm-hmm. Right, so the the, 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 the Rokeach says something along these lines. He says, Lama mastirim pinehem kishomrim techina. Why is it that we, we uh, hide our faces when we say the techina? says, When Bnei Yisrael would bow in the Azara in the Beit HaMikdash, there was, eight, there was eight feet between everybody. In order that his friend shouldn't hear what he's saying, In order, for, for the same reason, we say it quietly so that everybody should be able to have kavana. So just like Shemon Esrei, we all say it quietly so that you know, we don't disturb other people and that everybody can have kavana. Same idea. If people are saying deeply personal things and languishing or crying or whatever they're doing, we don't want to disturb other people. Therefore, everybody says it quietly. But I don't think generally when we say things quietly for Kabbalistic reasons, they point it out. But over here, I think it's simply for practical reasons. I don't think it's for uh, anything uh, more esoteric than that in general. <laughs> 